Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, and I am on post-work right now on Lady Hyde, and looking good, feeling good, liking how it's going, just doing a lot of work. Um, as a one-man band, it's really amazing, if you think about it, how much work you have to put into a film. You can't just, sh- and you know, if you want it to be good, you can't just shoot it and put it out. All the color correcting, and ADR, and Foley, and posters and designs and dvd box and typing up uh post um you know all the uh, information for everything and all the credits got just so much work but you know i don't know i mean it's just getting older but uh yeah i don't remember this much work taking this much time but be that as it may it's looking great so that's the update on that but uh today I am here to talk to you and to learn along with you about a little film, film number 92. Is that right? We're on 92? Yep, 92. 92. And that would be The Satrist. One more time. The Sadist of Notre Dame. Or The Sadist of Notre Dame. It's not a hunchback, although maybe Uncle Jess could have a little better posture, I'm sure. But, uh,. Same with me. So, yeah, this is the Sadist of Notre Dame. I'll get it right one day. Uh, it's an English language export title. And uh, all the information, of course, is culled from the flowers of perversion. That's a beautiful garden to have. Uh, it's uh, the Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2, by Stephen Thrower, who's uh, seen quite a bit as the Franco man. You see him on all the uh, Blu-rays and extra materials very very cool so here we go the sadist I keep saying it wrong the sadist of Notre Dame English language export title Spain and France 1979 Um, the original theatrical title in countries of origin El Sadico de Notre Dame from Spain and Le Sadic de Notre Dame in France it's like Le Sadic the Freak no Sadic Freak Raphael Sadiq the Freak. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Sadiq of Notre Dame. Um, alternate titles. Um, I like that listening. Alternate titles. Uh, Vicious pour un Sadiq. French visa title. Deviance for a Sadist. Uh, Demoniac is the U.S. video title of this. Uh, yeah, the second version. Uh, Ripper of Notre Dame. Alternative U.S. title video. Um, Les Moutures de Notre Dame. France video, The Murderer of Notre Dame, uh, Demoniac, El Exorcista Diabolico, Spanish video, Demoniac, The Diabolical Exorcist, they're just getting all the things out of here, they're getting the, the Diabolical, Demoniac, and Exorcist, getting like a three a three shot, let you know what kind of film it is, um, Oh Exorcista Diabolico, Portuguese DVD, The Diabolical Exorcist, and finally, The Ripper of Notre Dame was a shooting title instead of The Sadist of Notre Dame. So, yeah, The Ripper, I like that. Uh, Le Venture de Notre Dame. So that kind of gives you an idea where, where his head was at. So it's like a Jack the Ripper meets uh, Notre Dame. Uh, production companies, of course, the mighty Eurocene out of Paris and Triton PC out of Madrid. Theatrical distributors, Eurocene again, out of Paris, and Gold International Films, S.A., out of Spain. Okay, so the original Exorcism shoot, um, I'm sure people that know Franco a little bit know that 
Uh, he filmed a film first called Exorcism back in 1974, and uh, about five years later here, he kind of takes footage, I guess, stuff that I'll, I'll learn as I go along here too, but stuff that was already used or extra uh, shots and then filmed a bunch of new material around some of the unused footage or whatever and then made and put himself in the film um, again, um, but this time more of a lead and uh, shot a new film with it. So shows you how creative he was. Um, so yeah, the original exorcism shoot was January, February of 74 and the sadist footage was shot in early February 1979. So yeah, almost exactly five years later. Uh, French. It played France in July 8th of 1981, so about two years later, give or take, um, a few months. Madrid played September 14th, 1981. Uh, Cartagena played March 31st, 82. And then Barcelona, July 12th. 82, and finally Seville, March 25th of 1983. Uh, theatrical running times for this, France, 99 minutes, and Spain, 90 minutes. Uh, video DVD Blu-ray running times converted, the Dutch Eagle 6 PAL VHS version, 98 minutes, 55 seconds. The Spanish TJE Video PAL VHS version was 98 minutes, 38 seconds. And finally, the Blu-ray from Severn runs 98 minutes, 53 seconds. So I'm assuming those are pretty much all the same. Um, Because I don't think they're cutting stuff out by this time. All right, director Jess Franco, story Marius Lesur as A.L. Moreau. Jess Franco, also as Jeff Manner. All right, that's a new one for me. Jeff Manner, M-A-N-N-E-R. So that's his uh, credit on as the story. Production manager, uh, Marius Sewer. Uh, photography, Raymond Hiel. Actually, Jess Franco and Juan Solar Kozar. Camera operator, R. Zaldi. Uh, assistant director, Jean-Pierre Decroux. Script girl, Elona Kunsova. Special effects, A. Molin. Music, Daniel J. White. Executive manager, Daniel Lassure. Um Lab, Viffer. And let's see who else we want to throw on here. Different credits, Spanish, there, sound, recorder, spent here. Okay, good. All right, cast. Uh, Jess Franco, of course, as in here he plays Matthias Laforge. And then it says also Matthias Vogel, so I'm sure it's... The two different versions have a different last name. Um, and Lena Romay plays Anne. And Nadine Pascal, as Nadine Pascale, with the E at the end, she plays first victim, prostitute. Uh, France Roche, as Franco Nichols, plays Countess Dickon. Pierre Toulou plays Pierre de Franval. De Franval, that's cool. That's a um, uh, Marquis de Sade character named. The D front I think it's out of either uh, Eugenie or Justine. I think it's Eugenie. Um, Olivier Mathot plays Inspector Roche. Francois Julliard plays second victim, girl walking home. All right, Yule Sanders. He's credited as Yule Sanders in this. Uh, as Bartolo, a.k.a. Richard Bartolowski Patton. Monica Swim as Monica... Swin, S-W-I-N-N-E. 
Well, they had an E at her end of her name, too, same as uh, uh, Pascal. Uh, and she plays the dominatrix. Antonio de Cabo plays Father Ramon. Uncredited, Roger Germanes plays Inspector Malou, another famous Franco name, Malou. Uh, Lynn Montiel plays Rosie, Rose. Caroline Rivera, third victim. Catherine Lefier, barmaid. Ramon Ardid, desk clerk. Bigotini, the Count's manservant. Claude Sindron, Count Dickin. Sam-Marie Martin, man, sharing bedroom with Countess. All right, here we go. So, production notes. There's quite a bit of text on this film, so this is going to be probably a little bit of a lengthy uh, intro before the uh, actual review with myself. And as on the time of taping, it's going to be Ragnar again, uh, joining us again for his third appearance. So, we'll see how that comes through. All right, production notes. The Satirist of Notre Dame saw Franco returning to his bleak and bloody exorcism, 1974, adding 20 minutes of new material focusing chiefly on the character he had played himself, a religious lunatic who murders women to cleanse them of the sin of arousing him. The reboot was a 50-50 co-production between the Paris-based Eurocene and Spanish production company Triton. Although Franco seemed to get the facts a little mangled when he discussed the genesis of the project on the commentary track for Synapse's DVD release of Exorcism. That's interesting, I know they had that. Uh, I was shooting films for a Spanish company, Plata Film. We made some co productions with Germany, nice films, and he was a very nice guy as a producer. He had this film, Exorcism he had bought in the past, but he said to Lesur that he couldn't release it in Spain because of censorship. He said, Would you like to develop more of your character? I said, Yes, I'd love to. This is all fascinating, but as I've already stated, The Sadist of Notre Dame was co-produced by Triton Films, not Plata Films. Franco made two films with Plata the following year, Sadomania and Linda, that were indeed co-productions with a German company, Lisa Films. So it's likely that Franco was mixing up the two companies in his memory. Either that, or the executive producer with whom he made the arrangements was involved with both Triton and Plata Film. Okay. Um, confusion aside, The Satyrs in Notre Dame is a major artistic success. On the Exorcism commentary track, Franco said that while working on the 1974 version, he'd been told by Eurocene to cut back the character development of his murderous protagonist to make room for more sex. He therefore embraced the 1979 offer as a chance to correct this and give his sick protagonist more screen time. Such was the quality of the new version that Franco, quite rightly in my opinion, regarded the Cetus of Notre Dame as the superior version of the film. Alright, so review by Stephen Thrower. <clears throat> Five years after the original exorcism shoot, Franco was given the opportunity to shoot copious new material thanks to financial input from Spanish producers Triton. In doing so, he created what he staunchly regarded as the definitive version of the story. The Satyrs of Notre Dame reuses two-thirds of the footage from Exorcism, adds 25 minutes of new material, redubs the dialogue, shuffles the sequencing considerably, and sets the result to an entirely different score. Franco also renames several characters. Murderer Paul Vogel becomes Matthias Lafourge to the police, and Matthias Vogel to his publisher, Raymond Franval becomes Pierre Franval. Miss Cartier becomes Countess Dickon. And exorcism name is Count is baptized Count Dickon. 
but the biggest change is thematic, with Franco significantly amplifying the levels of Catholic perversion and hypocrisy. Vogel's past life as a defrocked priest, hinted at but never confirmed in exorcism, is explicitly declared in Sadist. By yoking the killer to Notre Dame Cathedral, the most famous and imposing religious edifice in Paris, Franco ensures maximum anti-clerical bite, concentrating the notion that Catholicism is a breeding ground for sickness. All right, the Sadist of Notre Dame opens with approximately 20 minutes of new footage. The mood is intensely downbeat, replacing the sexual frisson of exorcism with an almost documentary chill. We see Matthias LaForge wandering around street bums and alcoholics in the back streets of what we assume to be Paris, actually Lisbon, at 6 in the morning on a cold winter's day. Actually, I'm not going to go through and read everything about this because uh, they're kind of just telling the whole film like shot by shot. And I'm going to kind of go over that when I review it. So, um, But yeah, he's basically talking about the whole beginning of the film. and uh, So yeah, I just uh, truth be told, I'm reading this on the first time myself. So... Um, uh, ba, 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 okay. Okay. So, um, so yeah, basically they're saying that all this original footage or the new footage is all beginning stuff. Um, the whole beginning sequence thing. And then they hook up with the plot of exorcism after, uh, he kills a person that says the redeeming hand of the Lord. So, um, boom, boom, boom. Exorcism's opening scene, a prolonged satanic sex ritual involving two young women, concluded with the revelation that we've seen was just an SM sex show. Franco drops the scene entirely from Sadist Notre Dame, a decision which changes the audience outlook on the characters and casts a more sinister light on dialogue between Sadist Ghost request. Okay. Okay, so that's the difference. That's cool. So, yeah, basically, this is um, quite a bit um, of the uh, section here that's kind of telling you about everything. Um. Yeah, I'm not really cool about reading that because then you can see all that as you watch it, and I want to call out every shot to ruin the film for you all. Here we go. Let's do this. Um, the Satyrs. I'll give you just a brief overview. The Satyrs of Notre Dame pulls focus on exorcism's blurry narrative, but it doesn't achieve 100% clarity. In fact, some of Franco's changes create new problems. For instance, when Pierre is interviewed by the police who are seeking information about LaForge. It's difficult to see why they brought him in for questioning because there's no way they could have known he's acquainted with the killer. In Exorcism, he's interviewed by the police because his business card was found among the murdered Cartier's possessions. In the reshuffled storyline of Sadist, however, these murders have not yet taken place. Therefore, the police have no reason to suspect him. Sergeant Malou's line, We knew you knew him. Know him. He came to see you a couple days ago. as a complete non-sequitur. There's been no indication the police were tracking either the Forge or Pierre's movements up to this point. The line indicates that Franco was aware of the inconsistency and tried to paper over his crack. But it's much later, and the murder of Monica Swim's Dominatrix, retained in both versions of the film, that we see the Cartier Dickens murders. The police only receive a direct clue to Forge's whereabouts when a vagrant previously pulled in suspected Forge coming out of Notre Dame and recognizes him as a killer. He helps the police as a thank you for the inspector letting him go earlier. Uh, meanwhile, just an exorcism. Okay. Uh, the climax okay. of, sad, of Sadus is darker, quieter, and more satisfying than exorcism. Um, I won't tell you what that is, but uh, yeah. So 
The sadist of Notre Dame leaves us with a bleak portrait of reprehensible humanity and the knowledge that LaForge is simply returning to the madhouse from which he escaped. All that's left is sadness and the chill of encroaching nightfall. All right, music. Daniel White's music hovers between the frivolous and the morose, the key element being a pretty melody first heard over the shots of LaForge roaming the Paris streets. Carrying within it a sort of fatalistic shrug, as if prettiness is just a side effect of darkness. It's the sort of ironic musical gesture that really helps to sell the film's mood. Uh, two glowingly somber pieces for church organ were taken from the library LP featuring White's music called Grandes Or de Norte Timps. Um, okay. Elsewhere, jaunty jazz numbers play over linking shots such as Anne and Rose walking across the scene, or the arrival of guests to the Count's Chateau with the more horrific scenes are scored to the Arp Selena, string synthesizer and electric piano, a white combo familiar from other films of this period such as Shining Six and Davorosny's de una mujer casada, 1980. Locations. All right, the additional locations and sadist are as follows. The opening scenes with LaForge among the destitutes were filmed not in Paris, but in and around the Julio de Matos Asylum, Lisbon, by Juan Solar. The scenes set inside the Notre Dame Cathedral were also shot in Lisbon by Solar at the Montserrat de Geronimos, and there was no way to get permission to shoot inside Notre Dame itself. Um, Antonio de Cabo, who plays the police, who plays the priest, was in Lisbon at the time, directing for the theater, and agreed to play the role with, while Franco was in town for a couple of days. After the exterior shots of Notre Dame Cathedral beneath the credits, shot from the vantage of the Pont et d'Abou, we'll shoot to nearby Rue Nicolas Flamel, with the Tour Saint-Jacques visible at the end of the street, turning right onto Rue de Lombard. La Forge walks toward Rue de la Vire in the junction with the Rue Saint-Martin. He is propositioned at the junction with Rue Saint-Martin, while where Rue de la Vire becomes Rue de Lombard. The first victim is stabbed to death on the stairs, on the stairs, leading down to the river on the Ile de la, Ile de la Cite side of Pont-en-Dubel. The nightclub from which La Forge's second victim emerges is Les Splendides, originally at 10 Rue des Lombards, now on Rue de Fambourg Saint-Martin. Le Pavais, the restaurant from which La Forge spies on her, is still going strong on the junction of Rue des Lombards and Rue de Nicolas Flamel. So that's uh, some of the uh, locations there for you. <laughs> that was interesting. All right. So, um, yeah, there's that on that. Uh, I don't have my notes in front of me, but I'm just trying to do all this stuff from memory. Uh, all right. So there's a, a uh, donation button. If you, f- if you feel free to, please donate. Uh, please download all the shows uh, as you like them. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast first and foremost if you subscribe it'll always be delivered to your mailbox or your favorite however that goes uh, platform and uh, it'll be there for you every Wednesday morning at 1am west coast time I basically uh, do all these ahead of time I'm usually about two or three weeks ahead of schedule and uh, they're always um, sent and posted and uh, 
set with a timer for a certain date and time, and they're all programmed to be delivered as yonder. So there's that. Uh, you can find us on all your favorite listening platforms, Amazon Music, Apple, Podbaby, Stitcher, uh, so many. Um, of course, uh, Red Circle, all those. So, yeah, check us out. We're all over the place. We're worldwide. We've got a worldwide audience. Uh, like I said, uh, we got people from Norway, Spain, Canada, East West, Northern, uh, North America, Mexico, you know, all over the place. Spain, like I said, Portugal, Lisbon. Uh, we got listeners all over. Thank you all. And uh, we're all joined by the flag of Franco. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Tell your friends about the show. Like I said, it's worldwide, so spread the word. Let's get our listeners up to where we should be. Uh, we're doing good, and we always want to do better. So let's uh, spread the word and let the Franco fans know about us. Like I said, we're up to 90, episode 92 now, so there is plenty of material to last you for a long time. Uh, this is my weekly free podcast that I do for the love of Franco and for my dedication to the maestro himself who just celebrated a birthday here in the beautiful month of May. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, 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 because he died in April 2nd and uh, his birthday's in May, so that just happened. Um, and all that good stuff. It was May 12th, so. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm going to hang out here and you listen on the other side of the bumper music and uh, I will be returning with guest and we will review the citrus ah i knew i'd drop the ball again the sadist i don't like you saying the satirist well he's like satyr but yeah i know sadist is from sadism so and makita saw it so i know where it comes from but i don't know why i'm saying it wrong the saddest of notre dame what is noches maha All right, we are back with uh, episode 92, film 92, The Sadist of Notre Dame. And today, as a special guest, we have a birthday boy in the house. Today is the birthday of my friend and frequent um, guest here, Ragnar from Norway. How are you today, Ragnar? I'm great. Thanks. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You are you and me are almost same age. I'm uh, a little older. I'm forty eight years yeah. young. Young. <laughs> yes, yes. I'll be forty nine in October. So okay, almost the yeah. same. Pretty pretty close. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, you celebrated your birthday early by watching Jess Franco. Yes, yes, yes. That's a good good way to spend a birthday. I've done that myself. Yeah, perfect birthday gift. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, you watched uh, the Satyrs of Notre Dame. Uh, have you seen this film before? No, I, I've saved it. Very good. Yeah. Same, same, same here. Uh, I've seen uh, uh, Exorcism and yeah. that before, but I haven't seen this. So, um, uh, what did you think of this film? I liked it. It's, yeah. it's very dark. Very dark. But uh, great movie. Yes, uh, I you know I think I liked this more than The Exorcism. Um, I liked the feel of it. It reminded me of other movies, and we'll go into that as we go through the the um, review. But uh, yeah, I liked it very much as well. 
Mm-hmm. Very, very different. There's some funny stuff. So, um, all right, well, I'm going to start this up here. Um, so, um, I'm sure you watch. Did you watch the uh, Severin Blu-ray? Yes, yes. Same. Um, mm-hmm. I watched the Spanish with the English subtitles. Which version did you watch? I watched the English with the English subtitles. Okay. So, yeah, I think they're pretty similar, I think. Yeah. I thought the, the dubbing was more uh, more uh, correct with yeah. the English. I thought uh, when you saw them, how their mouths moved, it's, it, it's, uh, it was best in English. So I what's think. interesting about this film, before you start the movie and how it goes and stuff, um, like most people know, this is a film that was uh, exorcism. And uh, it was shot in 1974. So here, five years later, he shot some new scenes with himself, Jess Franco, and Olivier Mathot. And um, those are the two characters that are from the original film. And then he hired other actors that weren't in the original film. But watching this, you could tell the scenes where Franco is five years older because he looks older with his beard and his hairstyle a little different. And, and he looks yeah. physically older in, in only five years. Yeah, I, I thought he, he might uh, have colored his hair. It was it would look better if it has... Uh, yeah, yeah it, I noticed even... in the new footage, because in the old footage, he had long hair and it was slicked. But in the new one, he almost had a, a mullet. It was short yeah. on top and then the long in back. And he tried to comb it. It looked like a mullet. You know, I was like, oh, shoot. You know, and then he had the goatee, which might have been real or a paste on. I'm not sure. You know, I'm, uh, I, I was impressed by his acting. Eh? Yes. It was really good. Yeah, he's very quiet and very solemn. And then his scenes later on, his acting speaking is very, very good. Uh, definitely better. He he's definitely good to carry this film. And also Olivier Method as the inspector, you could tell the scenes where he looked a lot older too, you know, in the scenes yeah. in older scenes. In in five years you could see somebody age like that. It's interesting because he as the inspector, he looked older in the other scenes, you know. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So that was so that was pretty neat uh, to see those differences like that. And then we have all the original people like Lena and everybody who they didn't shoot no new scenes with just the, the old stuff, you know, but no scenes are very, very good anyway. So, um, okay. So yeah, I watched the Spanish with the English subtitles because I just like, uh, cause he's Spanish. So I always try to listen to his native tongue and yeah. then, and then I read the subtitles of English and it's pretty similar. And I think the Spanish cut, uh, Stephen Thrower said is like a minute shorter than the English cut, like in the orgy scene, it's a little shorter, but it's pretty much the same, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we start off with some, so like about the first 20 minutes is all new footage. Yeah, um, yeah. We see um, it's supposed to be in Paris, but it's actually in Lisbon and they filmed outside the gates of a, a sane asylum. Okay. For real, you know, know. Yeah, those oh, are the mental patients that are there behind the gates because he shoots through a fence and he pulls okay. back through the fence, but he doesn't go inside. And those are the um, mental patients that were there. And then you see an old man that's kind of drunk and he's pissing on the ground yeah, yeah. as he's walking. Yeah. And that's pretty funny, you know. Yeah, they were very cool scene. 
yeah, very re- realistic. And I like yeah. that. Um, like it takes place in the morning, everybody's sleeping, but only the people that have been up all night or, or the people that are early, early people are there on the streets, all the garbage men and the Jess Franco and the, the kind of the hobos and the people that are just kind of live on the streets, you know, and it's very depressing and cold and, and you see yeah. Franco kind of walking and being himself. A very, very grim start, very dark. Yeah. And it's very yeah, neat very, too. Yeah. Uh, I read that they said it's like a uh, human garbage because you yeah, have yeah. the garbage men and Jess Franco jumps in the back of the garbage truck to go for yeah. a ride, you know, to the uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I, I really like this movie. It was uh, amazing. I think. Yeah, you know, it was much better than I thought it was going to be. I wasn't going, uh, you know, but I watched it. I, I really, really liked it. Um, so we have that in the beginning, and then you have, um, uh, yeah, Franco sneaks the back of the garbage truck, and you see his eyeballs. There's a lot of shots where you see a close-up of his eyeballs and these big cathedrals. Yeah. Big churches and everything, and it's very beautiful because it's like his little teeny eyeball and these big, big churches in the back and forth, and it's kind of overwhelming. Like he's like the church is just so overwhelming in his brain; he's so overtaken by it. That's his whole thing, you know. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, ob- obsessed. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then we have. Um, so it's funny though with him, he's this dirty little uh, greasy guy, but the women still find him irresistible. So as he's walking down the street, this beautiful woman pulls up and hey, I'll give you a ride. And yeah. then he goes for a ride, and then she pulls her boob out, and you're like, come on, you know. But then we realize that she's a hooker and that she wants to charge him money or something. But it acts yeah. like she's going to do it for free, which is kind of yeah. funny, you know. <laughs> um- not so realistic. Exactly. Like he's, you know, Mr. Macho, you know. <laughs> I yeah, thought that yeah. was pretty funny. I'm like, come on. You know? <laughs> um, but so he gets really crazy and he kills her, stabs her, and we see right off the bat. And what, um, have you seen the movie, um, American horror movie Maniac? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. This kind of reminded me of that a little bit. He's kind of a dirty little kind of a greasy guy and he's walking the streets and stabbing people and, you know, like that or um, New York Ripper. It kind of reminded me of that kind of a a slasher 70s thing, you know, and. um, It sure has the the slasher ingredients. It was. uh, Yeah. Which is interesting because this is, you know, like 75 was. I'm sorry, uh, 74 was Exorcism, and this is 79. And 1979 is still really early in the slasher genre because that doesn't get it, – it's going on, but it doesn't get popular for a few more years. And yeah. this is kind of early, kind of a slasher type of um, um, ripper, like a, a Jack the Ripper type of character too, you know. Yeah, the, in 1980, he made the Bloody Moon. That's a classic slasher yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting. You see him kind of doing some different stuff here because I was thinking when I was watching this going, oh, this is a good slasher movie. And then I was thinking, well, he did the Frankenstein and Dracula and all those, but he didn't really do a lot of slasher stuff until late, this and later on. And well, I mean, he did Jack the Ripper with Kinski and, and stuff like that. But, um, yep. but yeah, it was very, very interesting. He's kind of doing that 
Jack the Ripper because the original title of this was going to be the Ripper of Notre Dame and they changed it to sadist. And in the movie, they talk about that for the titles of the article. They go, what about the sadist of Notre Dame? He goes, what about the Ripper of Notre Dame? So it's interesting <laughs> that he kind of throws that into the movie. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the, so we see the first nudity, of course, in this movie is the first uh, seven minutes when the lady shows her boob to Franco in the car and he stabs her. And then um, we have... Um, uh, as it goes through, we see our first appearance of uh, Yul Sanders and uh, Olivier Mathot, where yeah. Yul Sanders plays the kind of the uh, vagrant character that Franco uses a few times in other movies of like the guy by the river that sees the crime. Actually, in uh, Jack the Ripper, he uses that character and then he uses it again in other movies. And Olivia Mathot, I'm sorry, and um, Yul Sanders plays that part mm-hmm. in this with his little mustache and his cap and his bag, you know. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was good. Yeah, yeah. He says, uh, "I'm an angel with the devil's face," and he points to his face, and he's very, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I've it's funny. Other yeah, it's cool to see him in this. You know, I always yeah, like yeah. him. Um. So then we see. Um, okay, I, I, uh, I'm actually gonna go through. Oh, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll do that after. Um. So we have. Um, we have uh, oh yeah, so it's interesting. So I was thinking when he was when I was watching this, and they talk about that in the in the uh, in the special features that when Franco was making this, it's interesting that this is at a time when he had Apollo de Fuego, and he filmed mm-hmm. new scenes for two female spies with flowered panties. Yeah. Then he made Exorcism before. And shot new scenes and made Sadus and Notre Dame. So he made kind of two new movies around this time from two old movies. Yeah, so yeah. he like is an early recycler. You know, he recycles his stuff and makes new stuff out of pieces of old stuff. Yeah, yeah. In in that period, he was uh, he didn't have that much uh, finance to make movies either. So maybe it was a smart move to uh, do take old movies and make new ones out of it. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I didn't think about that because that is true. He was looking for new financers and stuff and, mm-hmm. and they had already seen that he had um, footage from other things that he could make something and change and stuff. So that's cool. Cause he had done that before in the past, even before that with like uh, when he would take his films and shoot new hardcore scenes, you know, and make a new oh. version of like that with the X-rated stuff, you know. So he's he had that already. And then there's also two other stuff, but um and also two shooting clips of little scenes on each film of another movie and then putting that together and giving that to producers to make a yeah. new movie from so he had experience doing this. So yeah, it was it was smart to do that where you're kind of, you know, using stuff. But it's funny nowadays you couldn't do that because like a lot of the actors in their first movie, they probably didn't get paid for this new footage and they're reusing their, their scenes again, you know, years later. Yeah. And that's illegal nowadays. You couldn't do that, you know. Uh, it was easier back then. <laughs> yeah, you could sneak sneak away and get it done, you know, and, and not yeah. and not get in trouble. But uh, yeah, because we see, you know, um, um, Monica Swim and a few people that hadn't worked with him are yeah. in this film again. Oh, there she is again. We haven't seen her in a few years, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, that was neat. Um, 
So the, yeah, and we have uh, we see a dance club, and uh, Frank goes outside, and he um, uh, meets a woman that comes out of the club that's going to go on a bike ride, and she's by herself, and he stalks her and kills her. Um, yeah. But uh, what I thought was the the scenes, the cinematographer, the cameraman, all those scenes are very nicely shot with Franco's in there walking and stuff and him smoking yeah. a cigarette and watching with the windows and stuff. Very, very great um, yeah. camera and stuff. It looked very good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, very, very, very stylistic. Um, and then uh, so we have... Uh, um so then so then about 20 minutes into the movie the old footage begins where we see Franco going into the office of the publisher and meeting um um Lena who looks from the old footage very young again you know with her oh. black hair and her boots and a, and that famous orange shirt that you see in a bunch of Franco films okay yeah. that orange shirt she wears there's um I think Robert Monell or people had done a uh, article about that shirt. If you look at those, a lot of the movies in that time period, she wears that orange shirt with different stuff on it. Okay. And in this footage too, she's wearing her female vampire cloak when she walks yeah. across the street. And yeah. those black boots are from female vampire. And those black boots with the three things on the side of her boots are the ones that Soledad Miranda wore in a few films. Oh. Oh, so, yeah, cool. you go back and look at the, oh, there it is, there it is. So that's a neat little, like, um, oh, nowadays cool. they call them Easter eggs, but in the old days oh. it was just using your props over and over again, you know? Yeah, you save money. Yeah, exactly. It's just, and it's oh. cool because it all just looks looks like that. Um, so, um, uh, let's see. Um, oh, yeah, and also, okay, so then we have all the old footage from Exorcism, and uh, I love that bar that they go to, it looks like it's built in a cathedral or a church. It's yeah, like yeah. a stone thing. You walk down and it's a, the bar where the ladies go, go dancing. And it's all like a brick and stone. That's a very beautiful bar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jess in the movie said it was a, it, it was a church before it was a bar. Yeah. He sits down there. He goes, Oh, this place yeah. used to be a church, I think, or yeah, something. Yeah. 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 That's very cool. And also too, I noticed, uh, Speaking of Eugenie Desaad again, uh, I think that's the same place where uh, Paul Mueller and Soledad Miranda go and watch the show, and then they get on the plane and kill Alice Arno, you know, uh, where she does a photo shoot. That yeah. bar where they're watching the show, that's that same bar. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so okay. if you look at it, I was thinking about that. So if you watch those two movies, you see I think it's the same location that he used for that, you know. My brain is like a trap. I see things and I remember, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's smart. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very cool. If something looks good, you use it again and again, you know, something especially beautiful like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then we have uh, other little things I noticed that was really cool. Uh, oh, yeah. It's interesting, too. Um, Lena and the lady share the room and her room is beautiful. She has like blue velvet all along the wall of her bedroom with the two yeah, beds yeah. is very, I thought that was a very, very cool room. And then, yeah. um, that, that whole beautiful, beautiful place, you know, and Franco's watching them and you see him like all, oh, you know, his expressions when they're stripping down and getting nude, he's like all excited yeah. and stuff. It's funny. A classic, uh, Franco, he's a voyeur. 
He likes to watch. Very true. Yeah, That's exactly. one of the another kinks in this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we have, uh, so speaking of voyeur and weird stuff, so then we have all the scenes with his stepdaughter, Carolyn Rivera, and him, yeah. where he takes her up into that room and he's naked and all that and he's touching yeah. her boob and, you know, that's yeah, very, uh, very odd, you know. Yeah, it's, it's weird to do that to your own stepdaughter. I know, it's called, <laughs> very shaky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and then uh oh so then it's funny so certain things I thought are funny nowadays that were maybe whatever then now is like oh my god like that and then also there's a scene after that where the publisher guy with the mustache and the blonde lady are sitting in a cafe talking about the articles mm-hmm. and he says oh I have to publish these there's all these stuff people like to read them and he goes mm-hmm. um if I was a criminal, I would have normal criminal fantasies like raping Raquel Welch or robbing the Swiss bank. And I was okay. thinking, what movie nowadays could you could say, I want to rape a famous actress? You know, it'd be like, whoa, Bye. you can't say that. <laughs> Today, it's uh, all political correctness. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was <laughs> laughing. He goes, I would rape Raquel Welch. I was like, wow. <laughs> very, very different times. <clears throat> yeah. That's funny. Um, yeah, so very funny stuff. A lot of odd stuff. You have, um, and then the scenes with Monica Swim as the dominatrix with the older man in that scene is very funny yeah. after that, where he's stripping her down and Franco kills them two later on, you know? Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, like I was saying, it reminded me of kind of, uh, a maniac and that kind of a slasher type of movie as it went through and stuff. Um, and I noticed too, a little, oh, um, I liked, um, I think it's, let me make sure he has his name right. Um, um, Antonio DiCabo uh, returns as Father Raymond. Yeah, yeah. He talks to, has really good scenes with. He, uh, his first film was, for Franco, was X312, uh, Flight to Hell. Oh, I got it. He's the guy with the little poodles and stuff, and he's on the plane, and he's in that, and he's in, uh, uh, he plays Lena's uncle and, um, uh, either cocktail special or burning up or yeah or uh, he plays Lena's uncle in oh in, in um, Girls of Copacabana he plays yeah. Lena's uncle in that film or her uncle you know and uh, and he's in a bunch of Franco films he's in about five or six Franco films so he's a very okay. interesting actor he was a stage director at this time it said so that's how Franco got to use him for this film okay yeah it's the curly White hair and big eyebrows. He has big, big yeah. bushy eyebrows. You know. Yeah, so I saw it. Yeah, I like the scene with him and Franco. He's asking him for forgiveness and for absolution. He goes, "No, I, I can't do that," and all that stuff. Yeah, a great scene. Very great. Yeah, scene. very, very nice. Um, so uh, yeah, but I noticed too, like Franco as himself in the movie, like his character, because I know he liked Orson Welles, you know, just Franco, and I kind of watching this, I could see him being like Orson Welles and like the third man or, or where those ones where he's walking Vienna by himself at night thinking yeah. about stuff and his lost life and his doomed last day on earth or his last, his yeah. last time, you know, yeah. but, uh, and also too, um, taxi driver, the film taxi driver had came out in 1976 or so. 
And this is 79. And I was kind of thinking, oh, I wonder if Franco had maybe watched Taxi Driver and kind of was thinking, oh, okay, well, this guy is going to go from place to place and try to save people that are, that are, um, sinful and, and I'm going to, you know, save them by killing them or whatever. Like Travis Bickle was going through trying to save Iris to like, you know, kill the people who are sinners and stuff, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's not copying, but I can see maybe a little, little speck of thought, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe. you know, a, a little inspiration, you know, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I like this film a lot. Um, I'm going to go over the kind of the list, the Franco list, mm-hmm. And point out stuff that made it or didn't make the list. Um, And then we'll kind of wrap it up and talk a little bit about the film. Um, Number one on the Franco list is the body of water. Uh, We have the uh, canals in the film. So that's the only body of water we have. Yeah, that's not the the typical of Franco. It's always sea or seaside. Exactly. This one is all in the city. It's all uh, landlocked. But yeah, we have the canals still. So a little, a little bit. Um, no sailboats, but we have one boat that kind of goes through. That's like a a, uh, a shuttle boat or a ferry boat or whatever. It's it's a uh, taking people and moving them, you know, somewhere. Yeah. So we just see that once. Um, number four, palm trees. I didn't see any palm trees because it's all yeah. uh, in the city, you know. Um, yeah. No jungle sound effects, obviously, because we're not in the jungle. Um, Number six, chained up person. Yes, we have the girls yeah. chained up quite a few times from the footage. Yeah, yeah. Of uh, Lena and the blonde lady on the inverted, uh, I guess it's a saint, or the, the inverted cross thing inside. Yeah. And um, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. No stripping, but you have uh, Carolyn Rivera kind of go-go dancing in that kind of yeah, bar yeah. by herself and guys are sitting there looking at her dance just a little bit, yeah. but not much. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's true. Yeah. So we have just that one, mm-hmm. uh, number eight club scenes, dancing. Yes. We have that yeah. scene. Uh, it's called like love fantasy or it's uh it's like a, it's a club and you see a painting outside of like uh Jack Nicholson and some Hollywood painting kind of out front yeah. of the club. And you see everybody dancing in there in the they show it's a long scene too, because the cameraman's like showing the feet and showing the faces and swinging the yeah. camera and it's quite a long scene where they're dancing in there, you know. Yeah, like cool scene. It like is. It. It's very seventies and it's a nice uh time capsule, they call that, you know. Yeah. Um uh number nine, jazz music. Yeah, very cool music by Daniel White on this film. Uh, uh, the music was in- incredible. I like the music. Um uh, that funky jazz and that uh, classical music and church music and th- the mix was perfect. Yeah, it, it was very, very good. I, you know, the soundtrack, like you were saying, very, very, one of the strongest things about this film was the music. Mm-hmm. I like the mix of how it was. Maybe we're like music, the mo- the jazz was modern and then the classical with the church and that's the two styles of him and society and back and forth. And yeah, it was very good. A lot of great sound in this uh, uh, voices and moans and stuff. And it all flowed really well. I, cause myself, I'm doing sound on my film. So I'm watching this kind of looking at things and seeing how he did it, his levels, you know, of where he puts yeah. his high up his sound or how low it is or his music. And it's, his stuff is very, 
that's one thing he don't get a lot of credit or he doesn't get a lot of credit for is his mixing of sounds. It's very, very, and this film is very good on that. Yeah. Yeah. And Daniel White is a fantastic composer. Oh yeah. That too. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, there's cool little like organ and, and piano, like, yeah, like yeah. little, little, I was like, wow, just little pieces that are just great. And then big, big pieces. And yeah, very, very, very good. Um, Number 10, excessive zooms. Not excessive, but the film starts off with the zooming. I was laughing at first thing you see is the zoom in on the people sitting outside the fence, the zoom out, the zoom in. I was like, oh, here we yeah. go. <laughs> classic. Yeah, classic chess. Um, but yeah, that. And number 11, out of focus. Not, not too bad. A few little scenes where he goes out, but that's done on purpose. Um, number 12, mirror shots. A few, mostly with the old footage. There's some nice shots of him standing opposite the mirror, watching outside Um, the mirrors in the room with his, his own room where his mom died, where that big bed is a lot of mirrors all around there. Um, And a few other scenes, but not a lot, but the scenes they're in, there is a lot, you know, if that makes sense. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Number 13, mind control theme. Well, I guess he's controlled by, Religion. I mean, his mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, He's obsessed. Yeah. So that's a different version of mind control. You know? Yeah. 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 He's not hooked to a machine by Dr. Orloff or he's not, you know, has a thing in the back of his neck or anything, but he's just controlled by uh, you telling me I'm doing it for God and I have to kill you. So, yeah, he Uh, is, you know. Yeah. He's controlled by his inner demons. Yeah. Because we learned that he went to a insane asylum for a few years, and now he's out, you know, and and in society yeah. again. Yeah, it seems like he's uh, escaped from the mentalist. Yeah, you don't know if he's released or escaped or what happened, but I, I think he escaped because he's on the street and everything, you know. And, and yeah, he's living. Knows? Yeah, he's living on the street. Like, yeah, he he might have escaped. It yeah, was yeah. In Swi- Switzerland, and then uh, and now he's in Paris, France. That's true because he mentioned that a little bit because he because the priest the, or the father was asking him about him. Well, where have you been the last few years and and stuff mm-hmm. and yeah. Um, okay, so uh, fourteen, <laughs> uh, Lena's magic tongue scenes. Not really magic tongue for Lena. She keeps her tongue in her mouth. She gets naked and has fun and stuff, but she doesn't do the usual Lena stuff, you know. But mm-hmm. but very very beautiful in this film, and we see young Lena, nineteen seventy was it five or four and that's that's yeah, he, beautiful lena <laughs> yeah she's in the early 20s yeah, yeah yeah this is yeah she's just man so beautiful this time um okay number 15 uh red light scenes didn't see any red light scenes in this one i no. don't think no. um no. number 16 sheepskin rug there's a sheepskin rug on the floor uh on monica swims bedroom she okay, has two I- sheepskin rugs on the floor well, I didn't notice that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because she has that bed with the big poles that come up, the big, beautiful wooden bed with the spinning yeah, yeah. things. Yeah, okay. I saw it. Yeah. Let me just clip this real quick here. Yeah, it's funny. Now uh, we're on Zoom, and they updated a new thing about a 45-minute time limit. So looks like we're going to wrap this up in about uh, nine minutes just to give you a heads up. But that's good. We're okay. almost close to the list. Um Okay, uh, number 16, masturbation, not no masturbation scenes. 
Uh, 17, mad scientist. Nah. 18, fish tank shots. No. 19, talking parrots. No talking parrots, unfortunately. Nope. <laughs> that would have been weird in this film to have a talking parrot. Yeah, the, it would be uh, amazing. Yes, yes. <laughs> have a little one he only sees and it talks to him. <laughs> uh, 20, end credits. Yes or no? Yes. Uh, 21, um, a handmade sign or a note. Yeah. Um, the office where Lena and the publisher work, it says like Venus international publishers. It's like a sticker they put on the wall. It looks kind of, it looks really good though. It's nicely made, but you could tell, um, 22 spiral staircase shots. Yes. Going into the bar. There's that staircase and Franco's house. There's that staircase. He walks up that spirals. Yeah, impressive house. It oh, yes, amazing. very beautiful house. Uh, 23, inept cops. Oh, yes, very inept <laughs> cops in this one. Typical Franco. He yes. doesn't have much uh, much positive things to say about the police. No, Always he doesn't inept. have much faith in law enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> Always inept. <laughs> and Yul um, Saunders' character is the one that helps them teach him where he is and where he goes, you know, and he's just... Yeah. Uh, the drunk that drinks and hangs out by the, you know, and goes wherever he wants and he knows the truth, you know, very funny. Uh, 24 belly chains. Well, we have the chain where the woman's tied up, but that's the only belly chain in this one. (laughs) Uh, kinks number 25. Yeah, very much. There's the dominatrix. There's the voyeurism. There's the religious obsession. There's the, a lot of odd stuff in this film. A lot of kinks. Very much. So, Typical Franco. Yes, yes. Uh, number 26, great headboards. Yes, there's some beautiful headboards in this film. Uh, the yellow bed had that great headboard. Um, uh, Monica Swim's bed is amazing in this. Like two or three really amazing beds. They're all from the old footage, but still very, very nice. Yeah. Um, number 27, fear or desire? Uh, hmm. What would you say is this film based in fear or desire? Uh, more uh, hidden desires. He, 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 uh, he's attracted to these women, but he has to kill them. He's yeah, a, and he, the fear he, of the religion or fear of God. So, yeah, I think fear. this is a baby 50-50. This is like right down the middle, you know? Yeah, yeah. Both. This is interesting. It's very one that's maybe borderline, so yeah, that's cool. And number uh, one I've added recently, number 28. Does this film have an acoustic guitar player? <laughs> no. Uh, I, I didn't see any. <laughs> no, no, but that's what I noticed a lot. A lot of guys playing a guitar all the time. So yeah, that's one of my that. new ones. <laughs> he likes that. Yes, yes, very much. So, um, all right, well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Um, do you have any final words or anything you'd like to say about this film? Uh, I was uh, impressed by it. It's, as I said, it was very dark, and it's, it's not your typical Franco where you have a seaside and palm trees, so more like exotic. It was, this was this was, was very grim and dark. Yeah, very dark uh, scenery with a, in a cold Paris and everything. It was it's not a typical Franco. No, and you know. Um... I was reading Stephen Thrower's comments, and I would say this film is a little easier to follow than Exorcism. It, it's and it's interesting that he took everything and redid 
redubbed all the uh, dialogue and changed words and things to make a new thing. And, and by paying attention to that, he made a better, easier to follow film, you know, and very average, not average in a bad way, but average in a good way, horror film that people could just watch and, and enjoy, you know, and you don't have to be a big Franco film fan to like it. No, it's a movie that's the, in the, uh, everyone can see it's not your it's not your typical franco movie that's a, that's more weird or surreal yeah no i think if people just like say horror films or 70s horror films or slasher movies even those people would, would like this film and go oh yeah this is this is a good movie you know and and i think they would like it so uh, same, yeah same with jack the same with jack the ripper it's a very accessible yeah, Jack the Ripper's in this is interesting because Jack the Ripper is very classy and this is very dirty. So it's almost up and down. You know, it's very cool. A good flip mm-hmm. side of this would be that film. So, yeah. yeah, very, 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 very good. And I would recommend it. So, yeah. And Severn put out a very nice Blu-ray that they found. Uh, it was found in the crawl space of a Montepasari nunnery. So this the, the footage of the, this, this copy was found hidden in a hidden in a nunnery crawl space. So that's an extra beautiful uh, package. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I hope more more movies getting getting releases like this. More yes, uh, word is Severin is putting out some more stuff besides Faceless. They're going to have a big announcement. And uh, Stephen Thrower said it's a big announcement that would blow your brain. He said, if you know the truth. So next few weeks, we'll hear some new Jess Franco news, I believe. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So that's very good to hear. So. Yeah. All righty. Well, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. I hope I can be back and do more reviews. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. No, I definitely yeah. want to keep you in the rotation uh, of you know every couple of films, bring you in and do a yeah. new episode. Because I like having the reach from Norway to uh, California. It's very cool. So oh, Very far apart. <laughs> yeah, so very good. Well, uh, I want to w- wrap this up by wishing you again a very happy birthday from all of us at the Franco Observer Podcast. Uh, a happy, happy thank birthday, Diragnar. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. And uh, thank you again for joining me. And uh, I will see you on the other side. Buenas noches. Yeah. Bye-bye.